Welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't put beloved character actors in terrible films, Full Moon features would go out of business. I am Casey, and tonight we are bringing you another horrible film from Full Moon's catalog. And to discuss it with me is my cohort, my partner in crime, Gabe. Gabe, I have a question for you. Yeah, I will. I will attempt an answer. How familiar are you with the works of H.P. Lovecraft? I know all about that which is unknowable. It is a, we we have ourselves a very unique relationship with the H.P. Lovecraft kind of uh, uh, lineage of stories, where it it could be said in some ways that our friendship has been built on a foundation of Lovecraft because one of the first times we ever really spent time together or or you know got to know one another was over a game of Call of Cthulhu. That that is true. I always forget that we met through a mutual acquaintance and it just kind of took off from there to this horrid atrocity where we're at today. Yeah, so I'd say we both or at least I have a special relationship with the works of H.P. Lovecraft. It's something that I really liked growing up. I continue to like. It shaped a lot of the things that I enjoy about storytelling. However, I struggled to say that I enjoyed this film. I was just about to say, how do you feel about Lovecraft adaptations? Um, some good ones. But also <laughs> there's some some uh, some ones lurking below the surface that ain't quite as good. Yes, tonight's film is our first Lovecraft adaptation from Full Moon, and that is 1994's Lurking Fear. Now this is, I wouldn't even say this is an adaptation. This is loosely based off of Lovecraft's 1923 short story of the same name, originally serialized in Homebrew from January to April. And really the only thing that they take from the original story is the monster concept and some of the names. Right. It's not... I'm trying to think of other adaptations that go along this route. I know they exist. I'm just kind of blanking on them at the moment. I would... Well, I don't know too much about the original original story. I would have said Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space could be considered along that style of adaptation. But I'm not too familiar with the original story. You could even, I, I, again, I'm not too familiar with the original Reanimator story, but I feel like, from what I've heard, the Reanimator film is, the very least, tonally different than what was adapted into the movie. But the difference is, the ones that we just mentioned are good adaptations. Right. This is, this is, this is a bad adaptation in as much as it misses the point a lot of well, first of all it's just a bad movie it's not a good movie not particularly fun not particularly entertaining just kind of meh things happen things just continue to happen and the if you were interested in the hp lovecraft name that is put up on the very deceptive poster might i say then you aren't going to get much out of this because it's not particularly Lovecraftian, except for a healthy dose of uh, implied xenophobia. Yes, uh, that that is a problem. While we adore 
his works. Lovecraft himself is a very problematic person, so we like to separate the two. So, Casey, can you can you tell us about the original Lurking Fear story? Yes. So, one of the things that you'll find with Lovecraft's tales is if he's not writing about deep otherworldly horrors that will drive you to madness with a glance, he's writing about what humanity could eventually turn to given enough time and motivation. And that in itself is the scariest thing of all. But it's it's also used... It's also used as a uh, thinly veiled allegory for mixing the races. Yeah. um, The original Lurking Fear doesn't so much have a main character as we have a nameless monster hunter. uh, Looking into some suspicions around an abandoned manor house previously owned by a family called the Martens family. And the creatures that are lurking within its grounds. Um, Right. So really, the only thing that stays from the original story into this adaptation is the creatures themselves and some of the names, as our main character in uh, Full Moon's Lurking Fear is John Martens. Most everything else goes out the window. We don't take place in a manor house. We take place in a cemetery. Um, And they add in this weird, like, hidden money heist element to it. Along with a pregnant woman whose character is only there to cry or scream. Yeah, I think that at this point we should probably get into the actual film where we start with what seems to be someone waving a garden hose back and forth uh, over some uh, over some scenery. Yes, uh, it's, uh... it's not good fake rain, which is unfortunate because a a big plot point of this film. And the short story is the fact that the monsters only really come out when it rains. They're only happy when it rains, you know? Um, It's like worms. (laughs) And me. (laughs) Our film opens on a rainy night in a cemetery with religious iconography abound. And we are greeted by a woman giving a gun to her sister with the claim that it will keep her safe. Yeah. So first of all, I would like to note something is that this woman is cocking her gun constantly. I don't know how how much you know about guns. You only need to do that once. Yeah, anything else is excessive and doesn't do anything. Well, it does do one thing, and that is eject bullets out of your gun. Oh, yeah, that's true. So she's just wasting ammo at this point. Have you ever seen that... Uh, that one sketch of like shotguns and how they're handled in movies where the guy is like constantly cocking his shotgun. No, I haven't. Well, you should. Cause it's, it's, it's pertinent. It's pertinent. Um, but also this lady is like, Hey, why are you giving me this gun? I don't understand. I and called a cab. Like, I called a cab. I canceled the cab. <laughs> so our woman who has had this firearm thrust upon her is Catherine. And she's going to end up being our main lead. Um, This other woman is... Our main female lead. This other woman is her sister, who we're never given a name for. Um, You know, I wonder why. And said sister has a baby. And said baby is in a crib with a very, very ugly homemade doll. You say ugly. I say ugly yet endearing. No, pugs are ugly yet endearing. This is just ugly. This is a a baby 
made out of a tube sock. With or a rather, face... it looks like a baby doll whose head was removed and replaced with a tube sock. <laughs> whose face was drawn on with blue ball po- with blue ballpoint pen. Right, and it it's funny because it's it's obviously a baby doll, a female pink baby doll, but they drew on like a grown man's face, which I think is very funny. It it reminds me a lot of the face reminds me of that animated show the critic which actually came out around this time this uh the critic was also released in 94 so maybe that's where their inspiration came from was from john lovitz i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case yes but oh and it's a christmas movie we forgot to mention that yeah apparently this movie takes place at christmas and that's really it only ever we only ever know it's christmas because it's mentioned that it's christmas and it only is mentioned like three times. It's, I would say it's as much of a Christmas movie as Die Hard, but it's, it's less of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. It's as much as a of a Christmas movie as like Finding Nemo. Yeah. Well, apparently, Catherine and her st- sister here are stuck for the night in this room, and Catherine has fallen asleep, and from the vent, a creepy pair of arms reaches through. And uses a coat hanger, bent out of shape, to reach forward and grab the baby's crib to drag it over. Oh, here comes a little beastie, sticking his arm right through the vent, pulling on the baby. But of course, Full Moon does not have the balls that Stephen King does, and the baby is saved, and its mother, Catherine's sister, gets violently pulled through the vent instead. She gets folded up. Do you remember that one kill in Freddy versus Jason when the guy gets folded up in the bed? Yes. She gets he folded what... up. He gets. She gets folded up like that as she's drugged through the hole in the wall. The only difference is that guy had it coming because he was an asshole. I mean, she could have been like a racist or something and we just didn't know. <laughs> and this is where we get our credit roll and... Might I say the mu- the music in this credit roll is frantic as all hell. Yeah. The music in this film is typically not notable, but it's not... This is the only point where I took any notice of it, and that's because it was all over the place. It couldn't figure out where its tempo was. It couldn't figure out what its mood was. It was just frantic. But we got Milo back. Milo's back. He can't let me exist. Um... It's something, something is just off about that guy. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, and so after the credits, we meet our protagonist, Mr. John Mortense. John Mortense. Mortense, excuse me. John Mortense, whom is a, whom is cartoonishly handsome. He is leading man rugged handsome. And I believe, I believe you you've discussed his ass before. Uh, he he got a nice butt. He got quite a nice butt. But He's the got... only reason I noticed this nice butt is because our leading man has been incarcerated for something he didn't do. But today is the day he's being released. Hmm. So what you're saying is you like you like convicts. I mean, I said he was attractive. I didn't say he was my type. Hmm. So he's being released for 
something. We're never really made privy as to why he was in jail. Yeah. It seems as though it was false imprisonment, whatever it was. Yeah, but he's been in there for years. And he returns to visit a family friend of his father's, a skeezy mortician played by noted character actor Vincent Schiavelli. And if you don't know who Vincent Schiavelli is, if you're familiar with some of the classics, this is the man who plays Fredrickson in Jack Nicholson's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, I was not familiar with him, but he's got he's got those gangly limbs of a character actor. Yes, so um, Vincent Schiavelli actually had a Marfan syndrome, which is honestly not that uncommon among really noted character actors. Um, it, most, it mostly presents in... Uh, height and long spindly limbs um but the biggest problem is i have no idea what his character's name is so here's the thing the closed captioning on this film we always watch with closed captioning one because i can't hear worth a damn and two we might get a few things with it that we normally wouldn't without and three sometimes it's funny our closed captioning didn't work until an hour into the film and at that point, it started from the very beginning. I Now, I didn't notice this. I turned it off once I realized it wasn't working. You kept it on. And can I just say, Full Moon, unacceptable. You have lost a viewer. No, they haven't. You know that's not the truth. This was the last straw. <laughs> no, it wasn't. You know that's not the case. So I gotta I... keep them... IMDB and Wikipedia call this character Nags, K-N-A-G-G-S, but that never sounded like what they were saying in the film. So I have no idea what his name is. I just called him the Mortician. Yeah, he's he's a fun character. I, I like the uh, the kind of flippant Mortician character. He's, 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 he's fun. I enjoy him. But he's he's sewing up this guy... And he's, like, preparing this body when our lead John arrives. And he's got a map. Half of a map. The other half being in the possession of John. So, John's father was apparently a noted thief. And our mortician friend here was one of his accomplices, in a sense. And he sewed he... up the bodies that they hid stuff inside. So apparently the map, when it's completed, leads to the cemetery of a town called Lefford's Corner. And in this cemetery, John's father had left a body that had been stuffed with loads of cash. Can we just say, that's weird. That is weird, but you know, it does make for uh, a smart way to transport illicit goods, considering... No one's really going to bother with a dead body that's presumably already been prepared for burial. I suppose. I think what's more weird is that they he's kind of left it. Well, after we get this revelation of where this treasure trove had been lain, we cut to said cemetery where we find a woman dressed in 90s commando gear bearing a bundle of dynamite. You say a woman. However... This is indeed Catherine. A unknown time later. Yeah, which brings forth the question, what the fuck happened to that baby? It's 
It's implied that... to have only been a few. It's it's implied to be like the same day. Either that or a full year has passed since the last thing that happened. If it's the same day, how in the world has she gotten to this point where we find that Catherine is basically the leader of a militia against whatever is uh, terrorizing Leffert's Corner? How is it that she's had a complete 180 in personality, has all these connections, if it's the same damn day? Being a year later or so makes a bit more sense, but that begs the question... What the fuck happened to that baby? Because that child is never mentioned again. After the opening, uh, after the cold open, no mention of the baby ever again. I can only assume the baby was sacrificed. Uh-huh. Either that he's or he's gone to a nice home upstate. <laughs> gone to a nice farm upstate. Yeah, that's what I'm choosing to believe. But you, as you said, this is kind of a militia we've got. Where we have Catherine, we have pregnant lady we have um very religious priest we have a other dude and we have our boy jeffrey combs as dr haggis and we are introduced to dr haggis as he's smoking heavily holding down and stitching up this pregnant woman and apparently haggis has uh connections and is able to procure four full boxes of leaky dynamite i don't think that why does does dynamite leak? I don't know, but this is cartoonish dynamite. It it is full on red stick dynamite, and when when Catherine like dips her fingers in the nitroglycerin, she like flicks it on the table nearby, and, and it, it sparks. It, it explodes like like those popper things that you throw at Fourth of July, <laughs> which I don't think that's how nitroglycerin works. I don't believe so, but Quick, it's enough to get. No, I'm not going to bother him. Um, I wouldn't have enough time to run there and relay the answer anyway, because I also don't think he'd have the answer. Um, but the nitroglycerin is enough to get Dr. Haggis to toss away his cigarette. You know, good. That's if that's what it takes to quit smoking. He doesn't quit. He just gets rid of that particular cigarette. Aww. And might I say, this movie cuts back and forth so stinking much. As our mortician gets sidetracked by a pretty lady who has come into his funeral parlor wanting to make arrangements for her own dearly departed. And as I believe Uh, you mentioned before, a dame straight up walked into his office and that's where he knew he had trouble. Well, I'm just gonna sit here and leisurely wave my legs around and Hopefully you can tell me all about your coffins, kind sir. But I, well, I'm, I'm gonna just stand here and join myself and, you know, I'm gonna talk about all my coffins and try to get in on this grieving woman. And oh no, there's a shotgun in my face. Well, for starters, those aren't coffins, those are caskets. Of course you'd, you'd know the difference. The difference is in shape. Caskets are rectangular, coffins are coffins. Or let me rephrase that. Of course you'd call me out on the difference. (laughs) Uh, But yes, it turns out that this dame who had come up into his office is a member of a little party in search of money that has been taken from them. But it also turns out that our mortician is dealing in some shady business as well because the corpse he'd been working on and getting ready to ship out was full of drugs! 
Yeah. Sydney also, here was full of coke. Yeah, yeah. So we now have our three villains. We have the dame. We have the big guy with a mustache whom I'm simply calling Lumpy from here on out. His name is Pierce. We find his later his name is Pierce. His name is Lumpy. <laughs> and we have Bennett. Now, funny story about Bennett. Apparently, John Finch got the part. Finch wouldn't even listen to the basic directorial commands such as cut or action and wanted to do things for his character of Bennett his way. Joyer, the director, has said that he regrets not being more in control as a director and has gone on to say that he chalks it up as one of his rookie mistakes. And the funny part is John Finch got top billing. Also, funnily enough, um, another actor named David Hemmings was originally chosen for that role, but they didn't want him on because after David had directed a hit movie, they were afraid he was going to be too snobbish on set. (laughs) And then look what happened. And then look what happened. Yes. So our mortician friend, under threat of violence, gives up John that he's got the map to where the money corpse is buried. But it doesn't no good because he's shot point blank and lands in one of his own caskets with, of course, the lid falling on him and closing the stage on our dear friend Vincent Schiavelli. That's a good bit. I quite like that, getting shot directly into the casket. But this also brings forth the point, why is John our main character? Because we're about 30 minutes into the movie at this point, and we've focused more on any other character besides him. I would go as far as to say, why do we need the money plot? Because John only serves as a catalyst for the money plot to happen in the graveyard, right? Uh, padding the runtime. without the, with the Without the money plot and the introduction of our... I almost want to call them secondary uh, antagonists. Without yeah. the introduction of John and our secondary antagonists, this would not meet feature length. It would not. And perhaps that is the case that it shouldn't have or shouldn't have existed. <sighs> yes. Meanwhile, Catherine and Haggis and our pregnant lady are holding up in the chapel that is on cemetery grounds, um, preparing for what they believe to be the last fight. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, John's driving to the town and he just passes a random shambling woman. Yes. Um, everyone in this town appears to have scars of sorts from being attacked by whatever is hanging around. Yeah. And John also encounters a wandering child wearing a plastic mask, which is also kind of annoying to me because like, why? Why? Things happen in this film to the point where they're completely unnecessary. It's, I almost want to deign that it's worse than Seed People, but the only thing this movie has to save it is, one, some decent gore and practical effects, and two, Jeffrey Combs. It's the only reason it's not as bad as Seed People. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs really does pull this movie along. So, funnily enough... Do you want to know another fact about Lurking Fear that I, that the IMDb lists? Yes. 
This film was originally meant to be directed by Stuart Gordon. That makes a whole lot of sense. Apparently, Gordon's version would have been a tribute to Warner Brothers gangster films of the 1930s, and Barbara Crampton was also set to star as a wisecracking reporter. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. So this just seems like this film was a was a thing Charles Band had lying around, and perhaps even Jeffrey Combs was already signed on to do it. It feels like this movie was everyone's Every decision in this movie was someone's backup plan. Yes. Okay. See Courtney Joyner, backup plan for director. John Finch, backup plan for uh, Bennett's actor. Just so much seems like it was, okay, well, this didn't fall through. Go to plan B. Yeah. So something, something. She's talking about her sister. Something, something. But it is also in this point where we find Father Poole in the confessional. And it seems he's in cahoots with these creatures. And might I say, they looked like the creep keeper fucked and had a baby with the giant ghost head from Poltergeist. They look like the creatures from The Descent if they were, if they had been born in the basement of a Halloween Express. (laughs) They're not good. They remind me, um, there's very heavy Crypt Keeper influence. I do see what you mean by the descent, but there's also notions of the ghost head from Poltergeist. And also, I want to say a little bit of, um, the fair haired child from Masters of Horror, which a lot of people probably won't have seen that. So here's the thing about Lovecraft adaptations. Of course, Lovecraft is known for the implicit horror where he says that something he describes something in such vague ways or using such colorful terminology that your mind is left to wander however when you really kind of plan out what the what creatures he's describing from lurking fear they're just dudes that are extra hairy and that's not that's not i'm not scared of that (laughs) to be fair i'm not scared of this either that's what I'm saying. It's it, if th- I think that they were going off of what Lovecraft describes, but as a book, you're left to embellish it and you're left to enhance it. Here, the theater of the mind, as it were. Yeah, and I really think this movie could have benefited from just less monster. There's a lot of things this movie could have benefited from, but like Stuart Gordon. Yeah. But John arrives to the Lefferts Corner Cemetery and finds all the charges of dynamite that had been strung up around the headstones and wired together. And Catherine finds him and she's not happy. She drags him inside under assumption that he's trying to disarm everything and stop what they're doing. But John was followed. Yeah. So first of all, they don't say to John like, hey... There's a monster here and we're hunting it. They're they're just like, this bastard was trying to ruin our plan. I don't know what your plan is. This man was trying to ruin our plan. No one explains anything to anyone. They just assume they know what's going on. Especially considering as our secondary antagonist, Bennett and his crew, arrive, Bennett just assumes 
that they know what he's talking about when he says, where's my money? Why do bad guys just assume that every random bystander just knows what they're talking about? Right. Like, let's, let's, let's be logical here for a moment. Let's say that you're in Bennett's position. You, there's a load of money buried in a dead guy. You show up at this graveyard. There is a room full of heavily armed weirdos surrounded by dynamite. I think you cut your losses at that point. There is nothing good awaiting you. Honestly, if I were in Bennett's shoes and I saw all of that, I'd just be like, yo, I have a family member buried here. I'd want to, I want to, uh, dig them up and move them before y'all do your shit and then take the money and run. What I'm saying is Bennett immediately goes to threatening everyone and literally saying, like, for every 10 minutes I don't have my money, I'm killing one of you. And Even to be fair, he already it. did. Yeah, yeah, they kill um, Scarface. And but to be fair, John used him as a meat shield. Inadvertently, he used him as a meat shield. She, he... But here's the weirdest thing. After Bennett mentions his plan of killing a hostage every 10 minutes, John just says something like, you're a jackass, and we get a weird fade to black scene transition. I can only assume they sat around for 10 minutes and Bennett realized literally no one knew what he was talking about. Yeah. So at this point, as we return from our fade to black, our baddies have disarmed all of the dynamite like dumbasses and have pushed Catherine and John into the cemetery in the rain to dig up where they believe the money corpse is. The logic is that... Didn't didn't John say that it's his grandma's grave? Yes. Right. But while this is going on, we cut back inside to the blonde woman of our baddie group, who we never get a name for. It's the dame. Yes. But she honestly doesn't seem too terrible, as... She's talking with our pregnant woman as Dr. Haggis is checking up on her. And the pregnant lady says the father of her baby is gone. Batty woman suggests that he ran when he was told he was going to be a father. And then offers to kill him for her. Still not the morally good thing to do, but it's better than holding people hostage. Her, her intentions were good, but the execution not so much. But we just get more jumping back and forth as the corpse arises from the grave. And it's... there's no money. And it's not his grandma, by the way. It looked like a woman. It look, To me, it looked like a man. I saw a woman, but... And I saw a vase. <laughs> but was the woman you saw old or young? It was a rabbit. <laughs> no, it was a duck. Um... But as it is raining, the soil beneath their feet has gotten very loose. And it turns out that our lurkers have got tunnels beneath the cemetery, all over the place, as John gets dragged down into the dirt with the corpse of his grandmother. Right. And I, I assumed at this point they were actually going to kill John. But no, he gets dragged down. There's a big scuffle with Catherine as well. But John gets dragged down, and he just kind of beats the creature off. Wait. He beats the creature until they run off. You gotta work on your phrasing, man. Look, that creature... Those, that creature had them sultry eyes. 
<laughs> them Steve Buscemi eyes. <laughs> um, but no, uh, John, everyone makes it back to the church and John, we did we mention that there's a giant hole in the floor? Yeah, uh, there is a giant hole in the floor that has been boarded up with uh, planks and broken pews. Yeah, apparently that's one of the holes that the monsters come out of, I guess. Well, now it's a hostage situation. Again. <laughs> Again, now it's a hostage situation. Um, it's at this point where I've actually forgotten a good chunk of the movie and I'm relying on my notes and I'm looking, my notes are not good. Yeah, so... I've forgotten a chunk of this movie and I watched it yesterday. Oh, and oh, this is where Lumpy says that the uh, um, the lurking crawler thing is a bear. <laughs> but doesn't he get then get th- thrown through what is probably an antique stained glass window? They love fucking up stained glass windows in this. Yes, but they also just keep cutting back to religious murals on the church walls. Yeah, and oh, and we also learn that it's not just a payday for Bennett, but in fact, the money was stolen from one of his casinos, and that's why he's looking to get it. Yeah, that... Why would I need to know that? Because. Why would I need to know that? Frankly, it could honestly have been the actor wanting to give Bennett more motivation. You know, that probably is the point, but... Dr. Haggis is just done with this shit, as am I. Oh yeah, he goes and he starts uh, st- starts uh, getting getting a bit holy with the blood of Christ. Yeah, but uh, Haggis and John are also playing hot potato with the gun. And meanwhile, while the men are fighting like men do in the church, Catherine has gone to get gas in the middle of the storm. That wasn't explained very well. No, it really wasn't, but it's... She's gone to get gas in the middle of the storm. But meanwhile, it seems the priest has summoned the lead lurker and calls him Satan. So what the priest is is getting at here with the lurker is that the priest believes that this is a punishment to be set upon the town by its divine punishment and for the lurker to just take him instead. He's basically trying to martyr himself. Yeah. And then the lurker is like, nah, and just rips his heart out. Yeah. It's pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, it's... A lot of this movie is anticlimactic because I don't even remember what happens next, but I've got in my notes that our dame ends up outside in the rain with Catherine and f- they just begin like fight fist fighting in the rain and mud because fan service. Okay. And it's no, a uh, really lazy fight. Here's what happens. Before then, um Bennett Bennett releases himself with a nail file. Um and and they 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 throw a Molotov cocktail at one of the lurking creatures, but it's the most pitiful fire stunt I've ever seen. Because the guy's on fire, but there's also a heavy rain down upon him so it's, he's only like slightly I, on fire for oh, like half a second and they need to slow I, down the footage i thought that fire stunt was actually pretty funny because it just kind of looks like he waddles away just Meh. and um after the priest dies lumpy is thrown through a window and dies um 
Pregnant lady. What happens to pregnant lady? I don't remember. It's bad enough that I watched this movie yesterday and I can't remember shit. Pregnant lady just... I think she literally just disappears. For a little bit, yeah. And um, so it's Bennett, John, Dame, and Catherine. And, and they're doing their fighty thing. And Bennett's making John dig. And then he starts talking about John's birthmark. Do you remember this? Vaguely. Starts talking about a birthmark John has on his shoulder. And at this point, the plot is almost completely irrelevant. Um, they descend into the den of the lurkers. So what happened... I, I vaguely remember what happened before this. The dame and Catherine are fighting in the mud because of forced fan service and it being a super lazy fight. The dame was like, you don't have the guts to shoot me. And Catherine's like, no, you're right, I don't. But does shoot the dynamite that she's standing right next to. And at that point, it sets off a chain reaction as the other charges in the cemetery start to blow. Yeah. No, okay, so that's... And as Catherine returns into the chapel to check on Haggis, he was apparently attacked off screen and dies a completely unceremonious death. Which is just a waste of Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, at least he was here. And it is at this point that the rest of our cast is dragged underground into the tunnels and amongst a mass of corpses. We learn that there's like dozens of these creatures. Yes, um, John and Bennett get into a bit of a tussle and they fall through the tunnels into the legit lair of the creatures. And we find that this is John's extended family. Yes, and that's where the birthmark comes in. Because everyone else also has the birthmark on their shoulder. Yes, um... And I know you don't... I swear to God, I'm not trying to make a meme. This is a, th this is a plot point from JoJo. What? There, the plot of... The... The Jo... The way that you know a character is related to, like, the JoJo bloodline is by a birthmark on their shoulder. I don't, this is the, uh, it's a very weirdly coincidental thing. Uh, so in the original story of the Lurking Fear, the creatures that had been plaguing the town had been seen around the Martens Manor are actually the Martens family and what they have devolved into through generations of inbreeding and mutation. As stated... It's not just the otherworldly terrors that Lovecraft wrote of. It's what humanity can turn to in time. Yeah, but our protagonist from that was not related related to the Martenses. Nope. So I think they got a bit of wires crossed with the Shadow over Innsmouth. Because I believe the main character in that is related to, like, the Innsmouth Fish people, right? Yes. Yes, he is. So I think they got a little bit of that mixed together. But apparently the lurking underground Martens family had the money corpse all along. But yeah. they also apparently had the pregnant woman because she was lying on a bed of money and they intended to rip the baby from her belly and eat it. Sure, I guess. Yep. But then the, the John lights the place on fire so Catherine had gone to get gas and they managed to escape from the underground tunnels 
they take a hose and just jam it straight down into the hole in the chapel and pump the tunnels full of gas, toss down a lighter, and they just set it alight and causes the church and apparently the entire fucking town to explode. Yeah, no, this didn't make sense. Apparently they had tunnels all over the place, which I guess makes sense as to why so many people were getting attacked. It wouldn't... It seems that just the chapel was their main center of congregation. Oh, and Bennett... It seemed that Bennett just kind of thought that the lurkers would let him have the money. Yeah. He's just sta- He's just sitting there counting his cash and whatnot, trying to get it, and he just dies. He's yeah. just killed. Then they eat him. Yeah. And... As the town burns, our movie ends with a shot of the money aflame and an existential voiceover from John about his lineage. (sighs) I forgot way too much about this movie. As bad as Seed People was, at least I remembered it. Yeah, I genuinely remembered more about Seed People. Yeah, it's like the last third of this movie was entirely forgettable. And that's a shame, because... If it wasn't for the fact that this movie is basically Plan B incarnate, it probably could have been good. Yeah, if... Again, if this were to... I feel as though if Stuart Gordon had his way with this, it would have been... It would have been the the last part in the Reanimator from Beyond trilogy. Yeah, maybe. But it just didn't maybe, happen. Maybe. It just it, it just kind of exists. It's there. Would we recommend it? No. No, even if even if you really like Jeffrey Combs and you really like Lovecraft, it doesn't have what you want. Unless no, you're you... some kind of crazy Jeffrey Combs completionist and you need to watch every movie he's in, sure. Also, you're kind of a sadist. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong. We love Jeffrey Combs. He's a wonderful actor, but I wouldn't call this one of his finer works. So, yeah, um... Anyway, next, do you, how much do you think this costs to make? Um, given a lot of the explosions, all the rain, uh, 600 thou? One mil. Eh, I was close. This, this had over twice, like, almost three times the budget of, uh, Dark Angel. Doesn't nearly compare. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. But I guess it depends on how you use it. Yeah. Who who is who who isn't who is let's say that we we're in a world where the where the, where the lurking fears ex- uh, survived the explosion and we need some kind of a crossover to come in and clean them up. Who's who who's going coming in? I don't know about cleaning them up, but I want to see the lurkers go against the sea people. You know what? Sure. Let's, let's pit just... one bad thing against another. How and see who wins layers, is the ultimate bad thing. How many layers of terrible can we stack? <laughs> well, hopefully this is the last bad thing we have to talk about in the moment because next episode I'm kind of excited about. You said that you know, last we're watching, time. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Knock on wood. Um, you know what? I'm not excited about this and I don't even know what it is. So, next episode, we're discussing Oblivion, a 1994 space western that was written by comic book author Peter David, 
who had a 12-year tenure on The Incredible Hulk, and stars George Takei, Isaac Hayes, and Meg Foster. So we got some stars in this one. Yeah. We got some stars amongst the stars. Peter David wrote um, Hulk the End, which is one of the best Hulk stories in my opinion. I know you're not particularly a comic book person, but... I'm not, but I do appreciate a good comic book author. So we've got some uh, high expectations for Oblivion here. And I have no expectations. But I suppose this is where we shall leave it and let us descend back into our own lairs to lurk until we next meet again. So just remember, kids, if you ever see a church being surrounded by dynamite and weirdos with guns. Just let the money go. It's not worth it. (laughs) And everyone, go ahead and be certain to have a horrible night. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.